2: Go behind the scenes and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool.
1: Tax season is approaching, bringing potential
2: extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and
0: Com slash deals.
1: That's Alienware.com/deals.
2: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now, or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My
2: name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deckett. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, a sequel episode. Uh, to uh, to an episode that I think we all enjoyed uh, much earlier when we did it for the first time. Uh, how long ago was that? I was going to ask the same thing. A couple years? It seems like it was a while back. Um it was been forever. Yeah, it was our episode on real-life superpowers. Now, as we live in the age of superhero movies, the comic book movie renaissance, you could call it, uh, we know that more and more people are familiar with the concept of the extraordinary abilities that we call superpowers. And there are a few that, even if you hate Marvel and DC movies and comic books in general, there are a few of these abilities that are... Totally familiar to everyone, like flying without the need of a plane, a helicopter, a glider, or so on, right? That's, that's one of the oldest ones, right? Even, Absolutely. Even in ancient myths, gods can fly.
0: You know, I've never thought about this until now, but since most of the superheroes that fly don't have any kind of wing structure support – I conjecture that it is a psychic-based ability. It is almost like a telekinetic ability Many to control themselves, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely right because it, uh, I went through a phase a while back when I would ask people what three superpowers they could have. And I think we've all had this conversation off air. I think we did in the last superpowers
0: episode probably. We two. probably
2: did, yeah. Uh, and that's – flying is one that people don't think through all the way because flying sounds cool unless it's a physical thing like swimming – Because if you can – just because you can swim doesn't mean you can swim across town. It would have to be something that doesn't exert muscle energy.
0: That's true. But I I think that telekinesis now would fold a lot of things into itself, right? Right. Telekinesis, you could make yourself fly and then you'd have that one checked off the list and you could also – you know – Throw knives at people in the air. Yeah, I disagree on both counts,
1: guys. All you have to do is master the matrix. And Uh once you've got that down, you can do
0: anything.
2: Well, that's just bending the code, right? Did you
0: take the red pill or the blue pill? Red pill, dude. You know that's like a weird like uh, neo-Nazi thing, getting red pilled? Uh, I think it's misogyny. Yeah, it stands for a lot of things now. Yeah, but specifically I heard that it was sort of like a a way the alt-right are able to – Explain the way they started believing that Jewish people control the universe.
1: It also
2: also stands for the incel stuff, the involuntarily celibate movement.
1: Well, I take the red pill for other reasons, all you groups out there. And it has to do with the Matrix. The original (laughs) reason.
2: (laughs) Yeah, talk about being misused. But the writers of the Matrix are pissed about that one. Another – …skill that people are familiar with would be the idea of extraordinary strength. As we explained in the last episode on real-life superpowers, these come in – these strength powers come in two real-life variations. The first is hysterical strength, which is a real thing. A parent sees their child uh, run over by a car with a heavy weight on them. And they are able to, in a way that does damage them, they are able to temporarily lift much more uh, weight than they could normally. The second and perhaps more disturbing one is a genetic mutation that's been found in, to date, one cow and one boy in, uh, in Europe. And it's a mutation that removes the limits on their ability to build muscle mass. And these are just a few of the powers we covered in our previous episode each, each case in that episode and in this one, uh, each of these cases have been scientifically verified. And while no one can fly unaided yet, our species is capable of some pretty amazing things. And so many, in fact, that we decided to do this long-awaited sequel because we found powers that didn't make it into the first episode. If you have not checked out Real Life Superpowers Part 1, Please go ahead and do so now because you will want the context to this. And honestly, you won't want to miss the first powers we discovered in that one uh, <laughs> because these other powers are a little different. So go ahead and pause this now. Give that one a listen and come back. We'll wait.
1: Okay. Are you done listening to the Avengers episode? <laughs> cool. Good. The Avengers? Yeah, that's that last episode is basically the Avengers. Right.
2: We've got uh, super sight, super strength. Temperature uh, regulation. Yeah. Um, that's always my favorite. Massive endurance. So those are the Avenger-level powers. This one is maybe for fans of comic books out there. And please write to us and let me know if you get this reference. This is more the Great Lakes Avengers episode. Yeah, it's a deep cut. You can also Google Great Lakes Avengers if you want to chuckle. I can kind of put it together in my head. Mm-hmm. Is it sort of just
0: like the workaday Joe Avengers kind of like doing their stuff out in the snow? No, no. no. no.
1: Is there, this, is a, this is a superhero team. It's their job. But they're out yeah. in the
0: Great Lakes. So I'm picturing them being like good old salt of the earth types, you know? Ooh. Perhaps, you t- perhaps <laughs> they, they're loggers. I, don't, I, don't know. I, I like w- where your yeah. head's at.
2: But you got you to gotta check those. Uh, I think you will enjoy reading about okay. Great Lakes. Okay, Avengers. I look forward to it. Not too
1: many spoilers, but mm-hmm. definitely search uh, the thing that Ben told me to search, which is doorman.
0: One one word, doorman. <laughs> yeah, Is he literally a doorman like in a hotel? Well, I don't, don't want to spoil it for the yeah. listeners,
2: so I'm not going to say it on air. Uh, but I think everybody who writes in will will enjoy the Google search. How
0: have I not heard of this? Is this like a parody? No, no, it's a it's real, a real thing. thing. This is amazing. But
2: again, I'm not going to – No, no. I'm, just, I'm, I'm looking yeah.
0: at it right now and it's – yeah, please, folks, <laughs> well, check this out.
2: Yeah, let's see if it <laughs> – let's see if it's a correct comparison. So here are the facts. Most of those extraordinary abilities that we discuss today fall into a few distinct categories.
1: Yeah, first you got the kind of what we spoke about before, some kind of genetic mutation that allows the human body for one reason or another from some small change at the genetic level to allow just a tiny, a minuscule amount of human beings on the planet to do something greater than we usually could. Uh, We're talking about what – People who can see colors yeah. that most people can't see,
2: tetrachromats. Exactly Remember that one. The kind of the opposite of being color deficient or color blind. Uh, they're all women due to the way the genetic expression works, and they can see way more colors than we will ever ever get to see. Yeah,
1: we just can't even fathom them. Even if you're looking at one of those massive color wheels, it's not on there.
2: Mm -hmm. They can also determine imperfections in colors that we would otherwise think are the same. So if anything, it's kind of an irritating superpower. (laughs) Can you imagine being a tetrachromat and trying to paint your house? Ooh.
1: Yeah, that would be crazy.
2: And so second – and this is good news for a lot of us listening here. Second, there are learned superpowers, such as people with blindness who have learned to practice echolocation. We all know what echolocation is, right? It's like how a lot of bats get around. Or dolphins. Dolphins, more particularly, right? I think dolphin would be the more correct use of it, wouldn't it? I know
1: bats are right up in
2: there. And so are a couple of people who have gone full-on daredevil, right? Yeah, man. And then there are people, like you mentioned in the beginning, Matt, people who have learned to control otherwise involuntary bodily functions through meditation. That's pretty awesome. It's kind of like the Matrix. (laughs) It is kind of like the Matrix. It is. And there's one – there's a thing that I thought would interest you particularly, Noel. There's a fascinating audio file that we will get to later in today's show. It's, It's weird. I can't wait. I, I don't even know if it's useful, but I think it's cool. I think, yeah. I think we'll all like it.
1: Not F-I-L-E, as in an audio file at P-H-I-L-E. <laughs> right.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, he can make audio files with his head, which would actually be incredibly useful for us. He's got
0: like a little USB drive mm-hmm. right on his temple, and he just pops in a stick and then mm-hmm. hands it to you. 48K waves, whatever. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but third, there are there are people who have already acquired certain oh. extraordinary abilities through kind of the Iron Man, Batman route. They've used technology, or what's known as wetware, biohacking, to give themselves a couple of extra things that you would not ordinarily have as a member of this species. And this is interesting, this third one, because this technology and biohacking, coupled with genetic research, uh, forms the basis of current superpower research. And without spoiling things just yet, we're going to end by looking at the future in this episode so stay tuned because we want to hear what you think about some of the strange and I think earlier we described as potentially huge but I'll just I'll say what it is. Potentially catastrophic changes. Yeah. There is just a, a couple of decades out from now. So uh, uh, enough preface, right? Let's let's get to the powers. That's why we're all here. We'll briefly describe them and we'll follow up with some speculation on their usefulness.
1: Yeah, some of them are more useful than others. So what's first, Ben?
2: Here's where it gets crazy. Oh, oh, that should always be first. Well, it's a little – I think we're, it's, it's weird because it's a little early in the episode, right? So super throws, super throwing. We've all thrown stuff.
1: Yeah. Most of us. You can huck a, I don't know, a cantaloupe fairly far, which is difficult to do because mm-hmm. my hand isn't big enough to palm a cantaloupe. But it's <laughs> fun to attempt to throw one really far after it's gone bad. You've got
0: above average sized hands, I would say, Matt. Really? Yeah. Oh, thanks, dude. Yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> You're – Can
1: I be your lawyer? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes, you may. Okay, cool. That's worth it.
2: (laughs) That's worth it. God, that character is so creepy, but I love him. I know. So. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Charlie's uncle in Always Sunny in (laughs) Philadelphia. yes, 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 yes. He's very worried about the size of his hands (laughs) and what qualifies as art. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, So. This super throwing may be a thing. Some people will tell you it is and it all goes back to polydactyly which is the fancy word for being born with extra digits or one extra digit on your hand or on your feet. Fingers and or toes. Fingers and toes, yeah. Not like a little baby hand growing out of your regular hand. So it's the second most common congenital hand disorder and – what we're talking about specifically is something called radial polydactyly. So for everyone who's seen our new logo. Wait, that- sh- what? <laughs> You're going to tell people? Do it. No, we shouldn't. Spoil right. the beans. No, it's too late. We've said too much. Spoil the beans? Spoil the beans. Spoil the beans. <laughs> I like it. So, this, this radial polydactyly stuff, one in every 3,000 live births, and th- when this occurs, you'll see something where it looks like someone has an extra pinky, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, or even more extra digits, and...
1: So, it goes off that side of the hand, not, mm-hmm. not on the side of the thumb, off the... It can go okay either, either way,
2: way. Okay. But, but the thing that's crazy about it is that many, many more people have been born with this condition than you might imagine often uh, people when they're when they're born with extra tiny fingers or something there's no way for the doctors to tell whether those are going to be functional later in life or just awkward looking so you kind of have to just wait so well often they get cut off at birth oh so it's quite possible that you know some of us listening may have been born with that condition and the doctor just snipped off that extra thumb. Because they didn't know if it was going to be just hanging around. It wouldn't leave a mark, though? Some kind of telltale sign? Right. Good question. Would it leave a line of a scar right here along the the base of your hand under your pinky? The thing is, it would have – that cut would have occurred so early – that the scar would become imperceptible. Eventually. You know, it's,
0: it's kind of cool. There's a lot of stuff in uh, folklore and in, in various cultures from around the world about how um, extra digits and toes are actually a sign of some kind of um, – uh provenance i suppose mm-hmm. like like you know I, uh, there there are red places saying that adam you know of adam and eve fame mm-hmm. possibly had six fingers and in the uh chaco canyon area of new mexico uh the ancient pueblo culture have all kinds of cave paintings of mm-hmm. six fingers and six uh, toed sandals and things mm-hmm. like that and it's this polydactly um is has been considered Uh, to be revered as some kind of great prophet or some kind of great warrior or some kind of imbued with some kind of power.
2: Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's considered auspicious. The highest rate of occurrence is in the Indian subcontinent. But if you think about it, uh, one out of 3,000 people is pretty common as far as these sorts of conditions go. And this means that most cultures through antiquity would have been familiar with it. In some cultures, it was seen as a sign of the devil or uh, demonic origin. But in other cultures, it was seen as a very, very auspicious thing. In the case of Antonio Alfonseca, it was a weird piece of trivia that always got included with descriptions of his career as a baseball pitcher. You see, Antonio was born with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot Uh, He had a great sinker, the type of uh, pitch he was known for. His teammates called him el pulpo or – The pulpo? The octopus. (laughs) And he was was, – he was called this because of his uh, six fingers on each hand. And yes, we know that's not technically correct. That's 12 digits. But he did not have these removed at birth unlike a lot of other people. And so when he was pitching – People began to credit his pitching ability to some sort of perceived better grip on the ball. Interesting. And, it would certainly be different
1: yeah. than uh, the standard.
2: Sure, sure. But then also we could say the same thing about someone who, for instance, had uh, fused fingers and only had three fingers. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have a different grip as well. But the problem is that his his extra digit was, if you look at it, it's kind of an extra pinky. And it didn't seem to, at least from what he said, it didn't seem to come into contact with the ball when he's actually holding it. So, usefulness, I don't know. We'll have to wait for a polydactyl person to maybe take up piano or some other instrument like uh, maybe a sitar or a harp, something with a lot of strings. And additionally, for it to be a benefit to them, they'd need extra digits to work independently like their other fingers. Yeah. Uh. And oh, that yeah. that's not as common as just straight-up polydactyl cases. So there you go. There you a go. A little
1: bit more on Alphonseca. He played for the Braves for I think one or two seasons. I definitely remember seeing his name uh, floating around in the Braves roster for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wait. It was – yeah, it was 2004. OK. So it was a single season, 2004. Uh, but you probably remem- remember him if you do, if it is ringing your mm-hmm. head from his uh, years with the Florida Marlins. that's Right. Look, I have a very limited baseball memory, but mm-hmm. I actually do. I, I looked up his name and I saw his face. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember this guy. El Pulpo. <laughs> yeah, El Popo. I don't remember that part. But, um <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't remember him being um like amazing though.
2: No, no, he was just a competent pitcher. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not. It's not as if he were like the LeBron James of pitching or something. Yeah, you know? but it was just a. I think it was a good story for slow news days. Often, a- absolutely. Yeah. Are there any
0: um, more impressive examples of super throwing?
2: Of super throwing, no. But there are examples of uh, there are examples of things that you could call super catching a little Ooh, bit later down the line. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So w- we've we've shown one that's a, we're kind of debunking that one. It's possible, for instance, that you know we're all familiar with the film Gattaga. It's possible that there could be in the future a polydactyl person who's just a, a an amazing piano player.
0: Oh, though
1: right. I could imagine that. And there's
2: that one scene in Gattaca where, mm-hmm. where you well, see that they've grown people to have extra fingers.
0: I mean, surely they don't have the same amount of dexterity in their extra digits as they do in their. I mean,
2: you know what I mean? Like not in a, most cases. In most yeah, cases. that's just saying. Yeah, not mm-hmm. in most cases. Most cases, it's kind of um, it's kind of just hanging there. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's not a, Again, it's not a digit that could move independently. You know. And even for most people, if you've ever tried it, most people cannot raise their ring finger by itself. Have you have you ever tried to do that?
1: I cannot do that.
2: It's like a it's a learned skill. Yeah. Yeah,
1: You have to just practice those muscles and this is the best I can give you. It's like Whoa, that's really good, Matt. No, it's not good actually. That's (laughs) it's not good at all. That's so weird. (laughs) It's terrible. I I freaked out to it.
2: Yeah, let us know if you could do that. Send send proof. Because I, I don't want to be too cynical, but
1: I won't let me my hands physically.
2: Won't I don't know anyone who can do it. You know, here's here's something that's a, a little bit more useful, but it takes us to a really dark time in human history: the Black Plague. Right? Fun. Yeah one of the uh, one of the greatest hits in the stories of uh, pandemics. You know, so. Waves of disease. The the Black Plague is an umbrella term for several distinct waves of disease that completely Paul, you might have to edit me here, that completely f up Europe in in ways that still echo today. That's one of the disasters that When portrayed in film is actually not exaggerated, is maybe uh, softened a little bit because they have to have their main characters in the fictional story live to the end of the story or live through part of it, and most people didn't. It was terrible. It was so bad. It fundamentally changed the course of human history, and it also provided – certain segment of the population with a superpower it turns out that evolutionary pressures applied to the black plague may have resulted in immunity to HIV for about 10% of the current european descended population which counts you guys as well so so it's quite possible i mean don't go Don't go gambling on this one. Yeah. Don't bet on it because your odds are not great. But it's possible that uh, we in the studio and you out there listening, we could be immune to HIV. Not HIV resistant, not less likely to get it, straight up immune to the disease.
0: Wait, is there a connection between the plague and HIV?
2: I'm glad you asked. Yeah, it's a mystery, but there's there's some pretty good science behind it. So – The individuals who currently now carry this genetic immunity to HIV have a mutation known as CCR5-A32, and this prevents the HIV virus from entering the cells of the immune system. And that's
0: Credence clear auditor Revival 5.
2: Right, right. America 32. Yeah. And this immunity made national news in 2007, which I think – let's see, Matt – this was like right before we started working together. Correct. And I remember we talked about this years ago. There was a uh, individual who was having a terrible, terrible time in life. This uh, this person was infected with HIV, and additionally, they had leukemia. Luckily, uh, they were in a place that had a um, a European approach to modern medicine. So they didn't die due to a bank account problem. They received a bone marrow transfusion, and this not only treated his leukemia, it also, to everyone's surprise, cured him of HIV.
1: Yeah, it's incredible.
2: And he he went – they didn't believe it for the first couple of years. Five years later, he still doesn't have HIV. They don't really know what's going on until they figured out it appears that the bone marrow donor carried – that immunity, that mutation, and successfully transferred this to the leukemia patient. In following years, other patients in similar situations exhibited the same results. And to your question, Noel, for a long time, scientists couldn't understand how this could work at all, because not only did the mutation develop way before the rise of HIV, uh, but if the Black Plague was bubonic plague, if it was bacterial in nature, it wouldn't make much sense because HIV is a virus. It's viral in nature. So two professors who worked on this, Christopher Duncan and Susan Scott, wrote a book called Return of the Black Death, which is, which is a great book. I'd also recommend, if you're interested in light reading, Norman uh, Cantor's In the Wake of the Plague. These professors said that the concepts of the Black Death were – were incorrect, and that the plague sweeping through Europe from 1347 to 1660 were in fact a continuing series of epidemics of a lethal viral hemorrhagic fever that used this CCR5 that we're talking about as an entry port into the immune system. So it's kind of like this mutation shuts the door for both this virus and HIV to get in. And around the time that the plague hit – According to their mathematical models, the mutation occurred in about 1 out of 20,000 people and pressure from the plague alone brought this number up to something more like 1 in 10 or 10 percent. So again, that's amazing. That's, that is an incredibly powerful thing. Yeah, and, it's incredible. And earned through the death of millions.
1: Now we just have to figure out how to transfer that into everybody.
2: right. Right, exactly. And there have been some promising breakthroughs in HIV research uh, just just this year as we record this. Of course, the origins of HIV remain a uh, contested topic, which I think we did an episode on.
1: Here's another awesome thing. Uh, let's say you're traveling somewhere in the world where you may have to worry about contracting malaria. There, there are several places in the world where this is a real danger. Um, here is a very strange thing and maybe it's just – it's just something that has come through evolution to the human body because of the, the way um, another thing functions within the human body and that's sickle cell anemia. Mm-hmm. If you happen to have that, it appears to or seems to. In many cases, you probably have some form of inborn resistance to malaria. Pretty pretty sweet, right? Mm-hmm. That's a cool thing. Having sickle cell anemia, uh, not good at all because this is a very dangerous metal con- medical condition, and there are a lot of side effects from having it, and it's not fun whatsoever. However, it's some weird little trade off of having a weakness. Mm-hmm. You also have this superpower, or and or well, maybe it's it's both. I guess.
2: Yeah. And it's we can go into the science of it maybe in a in a different episode. It just without going too far in the weeds, the way it works is that the effect that sickle cell anemia has on your red blood cells is that it it, it makes them abnormally shaped, and it doesn't doesn't provide protection against infection by the malaria parasite. Instead, it prevents the disease from taking hold after the organism, or in this case, the person has been infected. So it's still a bad condition, Yeah. but in the right circumstances, at least according to evolution, it's better to have sickle cell anemia than malaria. There you go. So that's that's strange. That's I, I would say the HIV immunity is a a little bit less dangerous to have since there's not such a trade off, or I guess the trade off was surviving again. Uh, I I can't. Use, I'm trying to think of a word stronger than horrific, like one of the worst things that happened in history. Yeah, the plagues. But that's uh, that's that's a useful one. We're trying to. Uh, vary between the, the useful and the unuseful. I, I found one that I thought uh, I, w- I wanted to hear you guys take on. You remember Seven? Did you guys like Seven? The film? The film. Seven? No, just the number. <laughs> Do you remember that number? It's a great one. Yeah. Talk about a
0: lucky number Slevin? Mm. What's that? Oh, it's a movie with, yeah. um, uh, what's his name, Die Hard, Bruce Willis is in uh, it. Oh, I have a He plays an it. assassin named Slevin. Oh and the boy! It's called Lucky Number Eleven. Oh, jeez!
1: Huh. In this one, I think we're talking about a serial murderer. I, well, he's a torturist, maybe a torturer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't necessarily kill all the time, but he has someone else do the killing. Uh, without spoiling too much of the movie, seven
2: or well, it's past the statute of limitations, right? It's Kevin Spacey, you guys. Yeah. <gasps> who is not building in the movie. Okay, let's go ahead. You, you want to do a spoiler countdown for everybody? Three, so, two.
0: It's Kevin Spacey. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's Kevin Spacey. He appears in the very last act of the film, uncredited because he did not want to, quote, ruin the surprise. But one of the ways in this story, one of the ways that he gets away with all these uh, horrific acts that are meant to echo the Ten Commandments or the violation thereof is that The Seven Deadly Sins. The Seven Deadly Sins. Yes, thank you. That's the name of the— Movie. Yes. Good save. Uh, He gets away with or he's not apprehended for a while because he has, through a very painful process, removed his own fingerprints. It turns out some people just don't have fingerprints genetically.
0: And just for the record, you guys, I wanted to throw that Kevin Spacey bit out there in case you watched the movie for the first time, not knowing that he was in it. And then you would have been super pissed by the end of it when he came out. And you're like, I didn't want to watch a Kevin Spacey movie. That guy sucks. Mm-hmm. So I saved you from that moment. So you're welcome. But in this case, he plays the villain that you're rooting against. Mm-hmm.
2: Doesn't matter.
1: So in some way, maybe it's I don't know. And I don't think the he's getting is. much
2: money for that film. I think that's mainly Brad Pitt and the uh, the other guy. But yeah. Uh, Morgan Freeman? Morgan Freeman. Isn't he
0: also a bit of a Me Too guy? Didn't he do some bad stuff too?
2: Morgan Freeman? Yeah.
0: There was a Me Too moment for for Morgan Freeman.
2: I heard that.
1: I'll look that up. As Michael Che said at the Emmys just the other Mm -hmm. night, uh, hello to all of you famous rich people in Hollywood who haven't been caught yet.
2: Yeah, (laughs) true, too true. So lack of fingerprints in 2007, there's a Swiss woman in her late 20s who ran into a really irritating Kafka-esque problem. She could prove who she was in every way, in every way that mattered except for one. Customs agents at the U.S. border could not confirm her identity because despite the fact that everything in her passport matched, including her photograph and all all that jazz, all that slow jazz, when the agent scanned her hand, they found out she had no fingerprints. And it turns out, instead of being some master criminal or some insane sadist, she has an extremely rare genetic condition known as adermatoglyphia, lack of fingerprints. We're just we're throwing out the fancy words today. A adermatoglyphia,
1: A-D-E-R-M-A-T-O-G-L-Y-P-H-I-A, adermatoglyphia.
2: Yeah, there you go. That's a nice voice for that, Matt. So this condition mainly makes immigration and travel so... Such a pain in the ass that one dermatologist researching it, a doctor named Peter Eiten, called it the immigration delay disease. Nice. So usefulness, it could have been useful in the days before GPS tracking and DNA testing. Like you could have been a, a master thief or of some sort, maybe in the forties through the fifties or sixties. Definitely. So the the heyday of that fingerprintless crime mob as come and gone.
1: If you had that coupled... Oh, it's, it's a terrible disease that a lot of people suffer with where you lose all of your hair. Alopecia? Alopecia in your entire body. If you had alopecia and... Oh, I've already lost it in the outline, and I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to say it again. A
2: dermatoglyphia.
1: Thank you. If you had both of those in the 1930s, 40s, really any time before the 1960s, yeah, you were you could have been a master thief.
2: Uh, dare to dream, dare to dream. So the next one's really the next one's a weird one. It's super strange and i think it warrants its own episode. So well, why don't we why don't we hear a quick word from our sponsor before we get into it?
3: Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in, and we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with 5 good things a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.
4: Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandra. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art.
3: You know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, How did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well.
2: Okay, imagine, a world in which humans might be able to smell with the sophistication of a dog, run with the burst of a cheetah, stay underwater as long as a a seal or a whale, or sleep with one half of each brain at a time, or heck, how about uh, just regrowing a limb, or you know, uh, growing an extra one, just for funsies. That would be, that's the world comic books present to us uh, when we think of human-animal hybrids, and we're still... Pretty far off from that sort of stuff, but we're closer than you might think. You're talking about some Island of Dr. Moreau type stuff, Ben? More like some saber-tooth stuff, you know what I'm saying? Ideally, it would be saber but you got to go through Moreau to get to <laughs> saber <saber-tooth, laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know? got to
0: gotta break a few eggs to make a cheetah. Omelet.
2: Yeah. Did you ever read the uh, the actual book?
0: No, but I saw the incredible film and the documentary about the, uh,
2: the About Marlon the Brando yeah, and I Val Kilmer. They were all totally yeah. insane. Well, in the – Oh, man. His voice is so creepy. There's that. so many stories about Marlon Brando. Without getting too far into him, the thing that's interesting about the book is that when the book was written, the um, the doctor, the namesake of the film and the namesake of the story – he is using purely surgical methods. So he's not using any genetic methods to um, increase the cognitive abilities of these animals, these hybrids, these chimeras. He's instead just cutting them up so they walk like men. Yeah, sort of like that
0: movie Tusk. Did you see that horrible monstrosity? It's a Kevin Smith movie where he turns a podcaster into a walrus. Yeah. It's, really it's awful. It's really it just bad.
2: doesn't make any sense to me like the motivation of the guy the the fact that spoiler alert 321 the fact that the um <laughs> the protagonist in tusk, tusk or the main character also loses his mind but nothing's really done to his mind other than you know intense psychological torture like he's a lot lobotomized or anything
0: i don't know man i'd lose my mind if i was turned into a walrus i think
2: i think i would have the presence of mind to ask for some people to help me with surgery to at least get me closer back, closer to my original form. You <laughs> know what I mean? Instead of just being in a wildlife park. Well, you know, spoiler: so, three, two, one, spoiler. That's fine. You know, sometimes <laughs> I feel sometimes directors or screenwriters get carried away with one image, and it's just the they'll like spend hours trying to rationalize that image. That's that's for a different show. That's for a different show, I'm sure. But um, yeah, like that, like uh, like Moreau on the way to Sabretooth. We're already this, – this is the biggest spoiler. We as a species are already quite capable of making several types of human-animal hybrids. But in many cases, it might be more accurate to call it an animal-human hybrid. In 2017, just last year, scientists announced that they created the first successful ones and they weren't entirely accurate in that claim. Their project proved that human cells can be introduced to a non-human organism and they can grow within that organism. But what they what they didn't say is they were doing legitimate ethical science. In decades before uh, this experiment in 2017, people have been doing plenty of legitimate unethical science. There are all these rumors we covered in earlier shows about a so-called human Z, which is genetically speaking – completely possible. We're, it's close enough. You know what I mean? Uh, it would be probably very hard to bring it to term and um, the creature would live a very cursed and happy life probably. But it's technically possible, just not ethically advisable. And in China, there's this um, – I guess you would call it a story by two researchers because there's not a lot of proof to back it up. That Right before the Cultural Revolution, there was a successful experiment with a human-chimpanzee hybrid and they had a female chimpanzee carrying essentially a human fetus. It was about three months pregnant but then all the uh, research was destroyed along with the individual. So – and then that's going into the Russian experiments, which are much – have much better documentation. Mm -hmm. And then in 2003, the first successful human-animal hybrid was made in a lab in Shanghai. Uh, Some scientists fused human cells in rabbit eggs, and they created the embryos of new creature that would be half rabbit, half human. Never born again. These things officially have never been born.
1: You know the whole point of that study at least? Back in the day, according to the San Francisco Gate, was to create a essentially a place where you could grow human stem cells.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Within the, the rabbit creature that they're creating, mm. half human, half rabbit thing.
2: And that's why when they destroyed the embryos, they harvested the stem cells, right? Exactly. Yeah. So in the present day, we we started really, really going into this with pigs. We've made pigs that are technically chimeras, organisms that are part human, part animals. The scientist at the Salk Institute found that they could inject a certain type of human cell, things called pluripotent cells, stem cells with unlimited changeable potential. They could implant these cells and if they – allowed the cells to develop to a specific degree, these cells could survive in pig embryos. They had to find sort of a Goldilocks zone to put this alien, um, alien organic material in. And they went on to create 186 embryos, chimeric embryos that survived. Each only had about 1 in 100,000 human cells as their ratio. Mm-hmm. Currently, we're capable of making sheep that are about 0.01% human cells. The ultimate goal here is not to make a race of pig people or uh, sheep folk. It's to use these animals as a harvesting ground for organs, which means within our lifetimes, if any of us needs to get a heart transplant, we may well end up with the heart of a pig. Which is currently what happens now if you get a
1: valve replacement, it can be bovine, it can be porcine, it can be from some other animal. A lot oh, of times wow. it's a, bo- a bovine valve. Wow, uh, yeah, I mean, so we're already doing that, but it's not a human hybrid version of it or a, a full-on human one that was grown <laughs> inside of a cow,
2: say
5: wow.
1: I don't know it's really interesting stuff
2: I mean that's it's interesting though I ethically, that would be less egregious to a lot of people than using a human heart, right?
1: Uh, sure. Well, yeah, I guess it depends. It depends,
2: but then growing, uh, growing an animal and dedicating its entire life to having its organs harvested a lot of people would have problems with that. They would also maybe talk about those problems while they were eating a hamburger.
1: Yeah, it, it yeah, agree. It, uh, it does, it is a, an interesting thing. It feels like maybe they're going about it the wrong way, but I see the leap here. Who am I to say, by the way? Uh, old boy Matt over here trying to tell science what to do. Um, but it does feel like we're getting closer to a point where we'll be able to grow an organ, almost like 3D print an organ out mm. of genetic material rather than having to grow one physically in a creature.
2: Yeah, yeah, we are getting closer. The problem is making the moving parts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. but not,
1: Yeah, it just it just feels in a way... Mm. Just that it's still even happening in 2017, I'm I'm fascinated. I, I know
2: up. it feels like a sort of sorcery, doesn't it, to mold living material in that manner? And also, this could make uh, an episode all of, all its own because this doesn't even touch on this doesn't even touch on what the nature of humanity is. Like, is it is it a simple ratio of cells? Is it is it once? Once more than half of the cells in the animal's body by weight or whatever, once those, once they reach over 51%, does that animal become human? It's a good question. Right? Once, uh, or is it just the type of cells? If all of its cells are human, but it has the brain and the nervous system of a different animal, is it not human? You know what I mean? Where's the line? Is it at the brain? Is it at the ratio? What makes what makes a living thing human or what makes it sentient, right? Like uh, this This is a question that we will eventually as a species have to answer. It's like do animals have souls? Right, right. Or do they have legal rights? What even is a soul? Mm-hmm. What even are legal rights? How do we define this stuff, you know?
1: Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Send in your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And are, we, if there are any shaman or
0: lawyers out there, let us know what you think.
2: Or both. If you're a, if you're a shaman lawyer, I would love to – Love to hear your. Uh, what, what would that be? Litigious divinations. That's genius, Ben. We could do that, right? Um, we, we also aren't mentioning, you know, Matt, we're we not mentioning how uh, scientists have grown an ear. On the body of a mouse. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's something a, we can do as an ear replacement. Oh no, it's true. It's true. They've done it. Would you do that? Would you, if you were missing an ear, would you take a ear grown from a uh, no, it's, rodent?
0: It's irreplaceable.
2: Yeah,
1: that's what I was. That's what I was feeling. Thank you, Noel.
2: <laughs> uh, so we 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 come up with these live, folks. Let us know. We're, we're working live for you. Um, but these these are so far just pretty much organic things, right? I propose that we pause for a break from our sponsor and we come back and we talk about technology. Martha Stewart, the original influencer.
4: When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul.
3: the six years ahead, she saw
0: what was coming. The
4: prisoner, the rise, the fall. And the reinvention
0: of an American icon.
2: Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A
0: CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max.
3: Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call.
4: I'm your host, Anthony D'Elisandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art.
3: You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Hey Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. Oh. MG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well.
5: Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
3: All right,
2: so we are back. Uh, the four of us are definitely not extraordinary time travelers, but what we could be is biohackers. What the hell are biohackers, you may be asking us?
1: Well, yeah, it's people who already have an Apple Watch that monitors, you know, their heart rate, how much they sleep, exactly what they're eating, uh, what their bowel movements look like and everything. Uh, but they just want to know more about what their body's doing. They want to have a little bit more uh, of uh, more apps that they can use uh, in the real world, more applicable things. It's what you call wet wear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, except instead of just wearing it on your wrist, why not put it? In your wrist, or in your head, yeah, your brain, yeah <laughs> yes,
2: mm-hmm. we have the uh we have the means, like in the the old uh, the old beginning of the six million dollar man television show, which I've never seen. i have just seen the YouTube clip of the intro, I thought that was cool. We have the means to build ourselves faster and stronger, and wet wear, yes, is implanted within your body. So technically, like a pacemaker would be wetware. This stuff is already much more familiar to us and much more common than we think. The folks we call biohackers today are making these implants themselves and often, in many cases, implanting them in themselves without medical supervision all the time, which drives some people just bananas. And they, you know, you you can give yourself certain abilities. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll probably do an episode on this too, but like crazy abilities. Okay. Okay. The ones we have, the ones that we found enlisted are maybe not super amazing, but they're, they're getting there right now. They're there to prove a point, like their ability. Uh, you can install things to monitor your temper, pretty much an Apple watch. Yes. You're right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. It's inside. Um, the ability to sense magnetic north, though, is that one is actually a patch.
1: Yeah, to sense magnetic, magnetic north. That's cool.
2: Well, all it does is they <laughs> recommend that you put the patch uh, high on your chest. Yeah. And then you get like a, like a buzzy itch thing when you're facing magnetic north.
1: Isn't that nice? Just every time you look north.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. And who doesn't want yet another unscratchable itch? Yeah. I, I mean, that could be amazing if you're lost in the woods. True. That's a really good point. As long as – yeah, no, no, That's no. That's really it's good. It's good. It's really good. We're desert. All right. Whatever. Yeah. Um, then the idea of implanting all kinds of stuff in your fingertips. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we – did we talk about this another – who is – no, I think maybe you and I were talking about this stuff, right? The one where you can sense magnetic fields if you're close to them. I Oh,
0: you mean like the with the radio quiet zone and stuff? Like people uh, that have uh, sensitivity to electromagnetic fields?
2: Oh, yeah, they could do that. I wonder if they would be the type to have that implant, though. No. Well, they would probably want something to
0: shield them from said Mm -hmm. transmissions.
2: Yeah, maybe detecting them would help them do that. But some some biohackers have put small sensors in their fingertips or even put magnets in their fingertips, which seems neat but really inconvenient on a day-to-day basis.
1: Just – if you – if there's an on-off switch somewhere in your neck maybe mm-hmm. or in your upper arm, mm-hmm. then cool.
2: Yeah, that's that's the other question, right? Yeah, I mean currently these implants are capable or, or – they're more like proof of concept things. Yeah. No one's Magneto yet is what we're saying.
1: Well, at least Magneto hasn't shown up in the middle of New York City or Gotham or wherever else Magneto can show up. Please don't show up in Gotham, Magneto. That would be really cross-world <laughs> and weird. Actually – it might, re,
2: might uh, help help the DC universe. So maybe, maybe it will. But uh, actually it would help them out a lot, <laughs> at least in the film adaptations. But this is just the beginning of something, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that's the argument they're making. They're paving the way. They see themselves as pioneers who are the vanguard for something that may become much more common and much more powerful in the future.
1: Yeah, because it does feel like At some point, and you listening out there, what do you think about this? But it does feel like we're getting closer and closer within the next few hundred years of becoming a lot more of a synthetic species.
2: Yeah, transhumanism, right?
1: Yeah, and, and I don't think that necessarily means biohacking in the way that it's being pursued right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to mean something completely different, uh, much more synthetic than an synthetic addition to a, a biological entity.
2: I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Something human plus, right? Yeah. Or as uh, Noah Yuval Harari calls it, homo deus. Ooh. Homo deus, homo deus. Anyway. So speaking of something completely different, this is one we put in just because, I, I don't know, it's an ability— Is it extraordinary? We're talking about globe luxation. Two words, globe space luxation, L-U-X-A-T-I-O-N. What what is this exactly?
1: Well, first of all, you should go ahead and search it on YouTube. That's probably the best way to do this. It is safe for work. It's fine. Yeah, you'll be okay. (laughs) It's the thing uh, where you've got eyes and then you could do this other thing where the eyes kind of go... Pop out a little bit, or push out. You mean just like bug out, or literally pop out and hang by the optic nerve? No, no you don't pop them out, but they just kind of they bug partially, out. partially they bug, <laughs> go out. <laughs> they're bugging, yeah, yeah,
2: they're It'll, bugging out. That's it. There's a Guinness Book of World Records measurement for this, for the uh, degree to which people can luxate. Perhaps would be the word uh, to make their eyes pop out of their skulls. Ooh, maximum luxation. <laughs> I think that could be a T-shirt, <laughs> but that's the question. You know, is uh, is it useful? It doesn't seem particularly useful. It's interesting, but it's I mean, not like
0: it, it, it could psych out your your enemy. Sure, you know, if you were like in a street fight or something. And that's what I just thought of when you said that. Yeah, uh, Matt, it's like. He, you have achieved maximum luxation, <laughs> and that's like you know your opponent, and then it causes you, the guy you're fighting against to freak oh. out, and then you punch him in the nuts.
2: Yeah, or like the Maori practice of haka, you know, the ritualized dance, Ooh. the war dance.
1: If you could, if you could haka and luxate, now you're onto something. Haka
0: luxation. Ooh.
2: So while we're talking about eyes, mm-hmm. this is what we found that's very interesting. We have a couple more with eyes. It's. I guess we would call it super record reading. It's a very, very, very specific type of super sight. You see, there's a medical diagnostician in Philadelphia named Dr. Arthur Lentgen. And Dr. L over here can do something very weird. He can identify the music on a phonograph record, like on a vinyl record, uh, just by looking at the grooves on its surface. He doesn't have to listen to it. He can look at it and he – it's like he can hear the music.
1: Wow. He doesn't even have to feel it or anything because it's just such a tactile medium with the grooves and everything. I thought – my in my head when we were looking mm-hmm. into this, mm-hmm. it – I – like I would imagine him feeling the grooves. Kind of like somehow, a braille. Yeah, and almost knowing that way. But just by sight, that's impressive.
2: Whoa. The claim was tested and verified by James Randi. Wow. Who, who, depending on what side you of the fence you fall on on, on our show, uh, you either love or hate. Yeah. Or, in my case, pity. But oh. the um, – no, he's done nice, important things. I just feel bad for him. But uh, Dr. Lincoln has a couple of caveats for this. He says he can only identify post-Beethoven classical music if it's fully orchestrated – He cannot identify spoken word recordings or the works of contemporary classical composers who are relatively unknown. It's kind of like he has to already be somewhat familiar with the song. I I don't know about this because, I mean (sighs) –
0: I always have been fascinated by you know cutting records and like what that entails and the fact that it is somehow physically making that sound because you can like have the record player the electronics turned off mm-hmm. and you can turn the record rotate it under the needle and you'll still actually hear a faint you know right. recreation of the sound. Um, I, I would want to know a little bit more about that, but I don't know like. It's sort of like looking at a waveform of audio, right? So you could maybe identify the peaks and valleys of what a waveform looked like and be able to correlate it to a particular piece of music if you knew it super well. Yeah. You could say, here's those stabs of dun-dun-dun-dun because dun, 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 those are the peaks and then it gets quiet and you could identify that. But I don't know that the grooves on a record quite correlate in that same way. Listeners, let let, let, us, let me know if I'm wrong, but – I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just a matter of familiarizing yourself with it and just yeah. learning the language of of what the grooves look like. But
2: I, I think that's what it has to be because there's a great article on them uh, in the L.A. Times from 1987 about the test that Randy gives him, and they have a diff ver- They have like various records. Um, let me see. They had they had some controls, like they had two different recordings of Stravinsky's La Sacre du Preteb. And an Alice Cooper recording and a spoken word recording and then they had other stuff that fit into what he should be able to read like The Planets by Holst, 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky, uh, Mozart symphonies and a couple of other things. And here's here's the way he does this. He's a very, very nearsighted guy, super thick glasses, so they shuffle the recordings. He takes one off the pile. He takes his glasses off. He places his eye at the edge of the recording and slowly rotates it. Mm. As as he's watching it, he's slowly rotating it. And so he's
0: looking at it like straight on, like across?
2: They're they're not – I haven't seen video of it. Yeah, Interesting. But they just said the edge of it. And then he said – when he made his guess, he said – I think that this is Beethoven's 6th symphony. However, there's an extra movement in here that I can't understand. Is it a strange recording? And Randy says, you know, I can't tell you. We got this whole test thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So the guy keeps reading it, reading this record. And then he says, yes, it is the 6th symphony, but it also contains an additional overture that I will guess is the Prometheus overture. He was correct. Wow! Just from looking at this stuff. And then he – Dude, uh, he
1: also – he figured out that one thing he was looking at, he was like, oh, man, this thing is – Sherman. <laughs> or he's like, this thing is really weird. It's like disorganized. It's like gibberish. I don't understand what's happening in this record. Yeah. What What is this thing? And it turned out to be an Alice Cooper record.
2: Yes. That was – he <laughs> He he didn't say – that's totally Alice Cooper, but he did say it was gibberish. Yeah. Uh, and then he was also able to differentiate between like the nationalities yeah. of orchestras – which is just insane. I I'm tempted to think I, I don't know, maybe he just spent so much time like as as we said earlier, maybe he spent so much time listening to records and memorizing their movements and stuff. But uh,
0: it does mean he's looking at records a whole lot.
2: A ton at the very least. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting way to pass the time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and also he's you think doctor. he listens
0: to them too. Do you think he enjoys music or is he just sort of like this highly neurotic Record viewer.
2: I don't know. He. I think he has to listen to them because then his because then his mind is associating two senses to kind of confirm what's happening. So he's watching the thing and in his head he's hearing the song.
0: But see, my thing is this: like, if I knew what record, if I knew intimately the look of a particular record, I could tell because there's thick lines between the songs, right? And there's only like some records you can't fit enough on one side that there's a lot of empty space in the center, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like a portion of the vinyl on the interior that's blank and just smooth. So I would argue that if you just memorized the look of a record, like in terms of how many tracks were on each side Mm -hmm. and how much empty space there was and what it looked like – you could have like a signature in your head of oh this is what the planets sure. looks like this is what Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin looks like you know you could totally file that away in your mind without actually being able to interpret magically through sure. sight you know the sound or the look of the record but so, that's
2: I mean the only <clears throat> that's that's where I think I'm at as well the only and that's what Randy concluded by the mm. way something like that uh, but a little more. Mm, the language he uses is a little different, but it's more or less the same thing. The big test then would be whether Dr. Lentgen could look at a record from a song you would never heard and then sing along. That would, be, that would be showing this ability. He would be a human record player. That
0: would be the next level of
2: that this, would be, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. But there is another form of supersight that is a lot more useful. This is very interesting, but I don't think... I don't think super record reading qualifies for Avenger level. But super sight just might.
1: Okay, so super sight. Now, we're not – we aren't necessarily talking um, like eagle vision or um, laser sight or cyclops stuff going on. In this, in this uh, world, in this version of our superheroes, we're talking about – Actual just super sight, amazingly good seeing. Uh, Veronica Seder, S-E-I-D-E-R of Stuttgart, Germany. She holds the record of having the absolute best eyesight in the world. So I have – I'm terribly nearsighted. I don't know about you guys if you have any of that stuff going on. But uh, my visual acuity is nowhere near 20-20, which is considered average. Good. Mm, That's mm. what human vision should be. But she has been measured around 22.
2: 20 slash 2.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not 2020, 22. This means she can identify people from more than a mile away. Yeah. She can identify tiny little people.
2: So would be a great sniper, right? Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um, that And that's strange because surely there's a genetic component to that. But how do we how do we find that gene? How do we isolate it? How do we express it? I was looking ardently too for someone with super speed,
1: like a flash.
2: Yeah, like a flash. So not an Usain Bolt, who is very fast over short distances, but someone who is very fast running at one type of speed. But I was looking for something that was um, just. Super speed in general, mm-hmm. and the closest I could find was what we—I guess we could call—super reflexes. There's a there's a guy who holds a very, very um, specific record for this in the Guinness Book of World Records, which is admittedly not the not the most solid source. Uh, but his name is Asao Machi, and he is from Chiyoda, Tokyo, Japan. Uh, he is fast enough with his sword that he can cut BB pellets in half and the – let's see. I think – There's a video you can watch of this. I remember
1: seeing this on Reddit Mm -hmm. slash
2: videos. And that's his – that to me seems to indicate that his reaction time is much, much quicker than the average bear or the average sword-wielding bear. Absolutely. So – this this seems neat. Now, this is a question for the audience. Is this something that is learned or is this something genetic? You know what I mean? Aside from the technique, you have to learn to wield a sword.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of proper techniques that take a long time to learn that I think he's, yeah, probably had to have mastered to be able to do this.
2: But like, okay, here's the question. If he were playing whack-a-mole or something, would he be the world champion of that too? would he just be like bam 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 maybe because he would react so quickly i don't know it's a good question we should uh put him in front of one of those machines see what we, happens we should write to him he set the record in 2013 he's probably yeah. still around oh yeah and you know what i bet he replies to emails very quickly oh that was not worth it <laughs> but but these are these are some of the powers we collected today and Yes, uh, some of them may seem more useful than others, but it leads us to a big question that I don't think we quite answered in our first episode of this series. And that question is, why does this actually matter? right? So far it sounds pretty inspiring or at least interesting. Through various means, certain parts of the human population, as you said, Matt, very small parts of the human population have acquired fascinating and at times supremely useful abilities. And people will even argue that certain things that are genetic disadvantages are themselves extraordinary abilities. I'm partially colorblind, but if someone was like, Ben, what are you going to do with this amazing ability to not see all the colors, I would shrug because it's it seems relatively useless, right? But at this point, there's no threat of an ascendant superhuman class, right? A race of superior people. Thank goodness. Kind of. There's kind of not. The billionaires? But there is. Yeah, that's the thing. There is a threat of this happening because as we speak, as we record today in 2018 – Three countries have been conducting extensive research on human enhancement projects that touch on almost every single ability we mentioned in this series with the exception – Except for
1: Super Eyes.
2: Except for Globe Luxation. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. uh, Maximum Luxation. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Uh, (laughs) The Pentagon is not as concerned with that yet. But we know – For a fact that not only are three countries doing this, but they have been doing it for years, for possibly decades. Well, definitely decades now. It's 2018. Uh, Back in the 90s and late 80s, the US, particularly the Pentagon, began investing huge amounts of money in research and the creation of super soldiers. Individuals enhanced through technology, drug use, and nowadays in the future – the very near future, genetic alteration to make them impervious to pain with superhuman stamina, uh, super strength, reflexes that put Esau uh, Machi to shame and even superhuman intellect and no need to sleep. But Here's the frightening thing. The U.S. government claims that they started doing this because China and Russia or the Soviet Union at the time were already operating enhanced human programs For similar purposes to build super soldiers and the implied threat here is that other nations do this without following the same ethical constraints as the US does in theory on paper. But, you know, whatever.
1: That is really freaky especially when you think about some of the efforts that Germany was making um, back in the day to, you know, make the Ubermensch and and actually – I guess not genetic manipulation but Mm -hmm. some breeding stuff that was going on and – some of the, there was some creepiness going on in Germany and to mm-hmm. think that it's spread out amongst all these other superpowers now.
2: Yeah, you right. Because uh, the Soviet Union and China survived World War II but Germany did not. Correct. Just a lot of it's scientists. yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then even in um, the recent years, you know, news came and went about China's alleged eugenics program for basketball players. Which – has a surprising amount of sand to it. So that's the conclusion today. The scary thing is the superpowers themselves want superpowers and they're not going to stop researching them. People, most likely soldiers and analysts with extraordinary abilities are on the way and the only debate now is who will get them and how these powers will be used. People are already arguing this violates the Geneva Conventions but there's not really – I mean there's not really a compelling way to stop this.
1: Yeah, even to get it on the books anywhere if it's happening beneath the black budget of let's say a Pentagon or some other, mm. you know, more secretive budget.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean what do you think? Is it already – I this is just my opinion but I feel like it's already gone too far and the possible medical benefits are so attractive and have the potential to help so many people. That they will always be used as a rationalization to build like these unsleeping, unfeeling murder machines. I think it's not needed anymore for the same
1: reason that I don't understand the the biohacking wetware stuff. All of that kind of research – Mm -hmm. Has been switched over to artificial intelligence and drones and robotics that because you don't need a human, you don't need to breed a human, you just build a thing.
0: Yeah, you don't think it's sort of an extension of like extreme body modification culture and kind of fads or whatever, like the idea of being the complete um, architect of your own physicality. You know? Oh no
1: no! I see that. I, I see that. I, I'm speaking specifically to superpowers, the the national countries, the superpowers trying to create superhuman soldiers.
0: Oh sure, that does It I'm, seems like the time for that has passed.
1: Well, I mean, it's still there, and it's creepy that they're doing it. and They're probably mm. still doing it because why would you stop? Mm. It's just there's probably not as much money going into it as there is going into the AI cheap drones kind of thing.
2: Well, it also depends on the nature of the military. So one of the greatest resources that the military of China has is a massive population. So yes. is it at what at what point is it more cost-effective to modify those people versus manufacturing mm. a drone? It's a weird way to think about it. That's a good way to think about it. It's brutal. Not good, Human, but it's, it's
0: yeah. I mean, yeah, because To some and at some point in some societies, perhaps the cost of human life is cheaper than the cost of good tech.
2: Mm -hmm. And then there's also the AI problem, which is right now most of what we think of as AI is not a machine consciousness. It's something that is able to solve certain problems very well or maybe find certain patterns, right, very quickly. Think
1: about it this way though. To grow an effective, combat-ready human being, mm-hmm. it takes, what, 15 to 18 years?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point too. So it, to
1: make a, a – you could mass produce a, a drone, I mean, pretty easily and pretty cheaply at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Be, we'd have to we'd have to be privy to some numbers that would be pretty frightening Yeah. to make the call on that. But I bring up the AI because would it be better to enhance – so AI doesn't have the capability – And in some cases, it's ethically constrained from making some decisions, right? Uh, It doesn't have the ability to make all the nuances of of, uh, analysis that a human can at this point. So if we're warmongers, right, if we're war leaders – Do we make an imperfect AI or do we bend the rules of ethics and hook someone up such that through implants they can communicate directly with a drone or with a machine? And then, hey, while we're in their brain, why don't we put in an implant that will be able to deliver systemized instructions to them or turn off emotional reactions, both of which are possible.
0: Or, you know, explode if they try to run away.
2: Both. You know what I mean? Make it a one-stop shop. Let's just – Let's let's go for it. I could see that happening. And I could see people signing up too. Dolce at the Coram and so on. Don't listen to it. <laughs> well, what do you think? Let us know. There's a lot to
0: chew on here. Um, this has been a fun one. Ben, uh, you're right. These were a little different than the ones in our part one episode. Uh, and I get the connection to the Great Lakes <laughs> Avengers now <laughs> because <laughs> some of their powers are a little, shall we say, underwhelming. But – Wrapped up in some of these slightly useless and underwhelming powers are a lot of good thought experiments and interesting uh, ideas. And the notion of what it means to be human uh, I think is really at the forefront of these discussions. So I'm, I'm really into it and I thought it was a fun one.
2: Yes. And while you're letting us know what you think, uh, you're probably wondering which method of internet um, medium, media you will use to express your thoughts Yeah, you can find us at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the hits, all the good ones. But you can also talk to us live in person on the road because we are going on tour.
1: That's right. There are only a few weeks, maybe a week and a half left by the time you're hearing this episode. You have to get your tickets now. If you're going to be in Boston, in Arlington, that's D.C. basically, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, or Atlanta, we are coming to one of your – just to a place near you between October 23rd and October 28th. Go to StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com
0: and then click on the Live Shows tab to get your tickets right now. And just so you know, sometimes that Live Shows thing, it's hidden. You got to click on More. Uh, my browser, for some reason, always contracts those little menu items, so uh, you don't see it right away. You got to click on More, and then Live Shows is the last thing that comes up. But those dates are beginning Tuesday, October 23rd at the Armory in Boston, Thursday, October 25th at the Arlington Cinema and Draft House in Arlington, Virginia, just outside D.C., Friday, October 26th at the World Cafe Live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Saturday, October 27th at the Bell House in Brooklyn, and then Sunday, October 28th at Terminal West here in Atlanta. So get your tickets there at uh, stufftheydontwantyouknow.com and then find that live shows tab wherever it may be hiding.
2: And, of course, you can also call us, 1-833-STDWYTK. And if none of that particularly luxates your globes, feel free to write an email to us directly. We are...
1: Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com Hey
3: Sarah! Hey Sarah!